Let's uh, welcome Brian. Uh, we're excited that he is here to share the word with us this morning. We love Brian, so thanks, Brian. Hey, thanks, Ross. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Restoration Church always has a soft spot in my heart, and, and it's always fun to, uh, to come and, and visit. I brought this uh, fellow along with me here, this banner, and uh, many of you know that I uh, work for Compassion International, and um, in May of this past year, uh, 40 uh, families here from Restoration um, sponsored 40 kids at uh, three little local churches in Cochabamba, Bolivia, which is totally great. And, um, and those churches down in Bolivia are registering more kids. And so sometime in the next few months, you might have an opportunity again, if you haven't gotten involved before, to get involved or sponsor a second child if you want to. But this little smiling face is to remind you of that choice of generosity um, for me to say thank you and also um, maybe write a letter today when you get home. Get on Compassion.com, open up your account, type a letter, upload some photographs, send it off. It takes a few minutes and you will make the day of your uh, little girl or boy that you sponsor. So thanks for that. Another statistic I was thinking of when you're talking about inviting. Um, I saw this one in Barna. 80% of people who have never been to church were never invited to go. Um, which is also like, one of those things like, man, all it means is for me to uh, take that chance to generously choose generosity, choose love, and invite someone to come to something like, what are you calling it? Choose Jesus Day? Choose, choose, choose Jesus Day. I just came up with a name, everybody. Awesome. Um, I love this idea of um, choices. I read um, online that uh, the average American adult makes 35,000 semi-conscious choices every day. Can you imagine that? 35,000. 300 of them are about food alone. Now, I'm thinking of me. I probably have as much more than 300 decisions about food for myself, but I guess um, 35,000. So choices is a big deal. And um, the topic that I want to talk a little bit about is choosing courage. How do we choose courage? I was thinking this morning... I was talking with Ralph downstairs, and we were just kind of talking about, like, um, uh, the holiday weekend, the, the, the um, Halloween weekend, the trunk or treat, which is a great event. And uh, we have, a, like, examples of false courage this time of year. You know, um, have, have you ever visited a haunted house? Anybody like doing visiting haunted houses? Come on, a couple of you. I always found them really fun because there's something like there's this false sense of fear that's strummed up, right? Because you really shouldn't be afraid of what, you know, actors or animatronic things, right? Uh, and then it makes your, your body do react in all these funny ways. So I just recall this one specific story about going to visit a haunted house. Um, I, um, not too far from here, there was a house that uh, the local radio station used to use as a haunted house every Halloween when I was a teenager. And they would hire other high school students to dress up as actors and kind of jump out from behind bushes and walls and stuff. And so I remember going uh, with a friend and we were put into this group of about six or eight people. And there's one particular couple that was older than us. I don't know if it was a husband or, or a wife or a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but this guy was puffing out his chest. He was not going to be frightened. You know what I mean? Ever met this person before, right? And he was going to act really courageous and say all kinds of things like, oh, that's not scary. You see the, the actor behind the bush over there? You know, that kind of thing. But uh, um, as we went through the house, he started to change a little bit. You could sense it, you know? We went into this one room and they turned out all the lights and there were doors and you had to try to find your way out of the room. They didn't give you any instructions, right? And you could kind of feel the intensity rising. Of course, he was saying, things, oh, I'm not afraid. You know, come on, it must be this door you know, and uh, all the way through the house. Well, we get to the end of the house and out into the back courtyard, and this was kind of the finale, 
This was really well done. Uh, I remember coming out, we could see the exit uh, down at the end of the courtyard. The house is behind us. All of a sudden, this bright light shows up behind us and all this dry ice, so this smoke coming out all around us. And out of the ground next to the house, it must have been like a basement well or something like that, but out of the house rises slowly this figure getting taller and taller. And it's someone dressed up like the Grim Reaper with a sickle. And it's getting taller. And it must get to like nine, ten feet tall, right? And we're all stepping away from it like this. And then he takes his sickle and takes a step and goes, and swings it over our head. Now this guy who's acting tough the whole time yells at the top of his lungs, leaves his wife and girlfriend standing there, and starts tearing off towards the exit, right? <laughs> and uh, I just start laughing, you know. It's just, I, just like this, I, can rem- I can even remember this now like it was a movie. I grabbed her arm and my friend's arm, and we like, let's go, and we went out the back way. This guy's on stilts or something. He's walking after us. But, you know, we have examples of, you know, false courage, pretending like we're cur- courageous. We see it sometimes in, you know, examples like that. But one of the things we need a lot uh, in our lives, in our culture, is real courage. And we love to tell stories of courage. It's something we talk about a lot, I think. I, we admire it. I remember I heard a pastor one time talk about his nephew and his nephew's son and daughter. They were at a party, and there was a pool at the party. And then um, his uh, nephew's son was, uh, his name was Jack. His name was, uh, his, he was five years old, and a little girl, his little sister, Blair, was two. And while everyone was up at the party by the house, the two of them had kind of walked down to the pool. And um, Jack was still in his, in his street clothes, and he was playing with the skimmer in the water, and the little two-year-old Blair had her brand-new pink bathing suit on, so she was testing out the water. And she took one step into the water and kicked some of the, the water, and then another step, and then she was under. Well, her five-year-old brother sees it, yells her name, Blair, to the top of his lungs. He jumps into the pool. The water's above their head. He's grabbing his sister, holding her up so that she can breathe. And uh, their father heard the the splash and the yell, and he went down and got in the pool and pulled the two of them out of the water. But, I mean, this little boy, wow, what a, how amazing is that to jump into the pool after his little sister? So we like to tell those stories. You know, we, we cheer for the football player who scores the winning touchdown even though he broke his foot the play before. And we talk about the firemen who runs into a burning building to save a child. And we honor the soldier who risks his life to defend his country. And we support the missionary who chooses to live the rest of her life in a different culture in order to share the gospel. Almost everyone admires courage. It's just a shame that we too seldom practice it. And you might not realize it, but we have the opportunity, I think, to demonstrate courage every day. Because whenever we tell a story about courage, it always involves people and other people, right? You don't have courage without people. It always takes place in the context of relationships, and so that's the place where courage is needed most, in our relationships. For example, Scott and Lisa are on the brink of divorce. Lisa suggests that they should go to counseling for help, but Scott refuses 
because he's uncomfortable talking about his feelings. Joan and Sarah used to be best friends, but they haven't spoken in two months since they had a fight. And Joan wants to be friends again, but she never calls Sarah because she's afraid of getting into a fight all over again. Bill has a, a decent relationship with his boss, but recently his boss's decisions have made it difficult for Bill to do his job. And Bill doesn't confront his boss about it because he doesn't want to sound like a whiner. And Charlotte wants to invite her friend Joe to choose Jesus Day at church. But she won't ask him because she's afraid he'll say no. And David thinks his son is making poor choices and lacks direction, but David is afraid to force the issue because his son has a bad temper and their relationship is already rocky. So the core, of, uh, the core problem in each of these scenarios is fear. In fact, Christian psychologist Dr. Gary Smalley goes so far as to say that the core problem to every relational conflict is fear. Every conflict. And if he's correct, then the solution to every relational conflict is courage. But how do we choose courage? I mean, we know what courage looks like when a fireman jumps into a burning building. But what does courage look like in our interactions with people? How do we choose courage every day? And so I invite you to open your Bibles to chapter 26 of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Because we're going to look at an episode in the life of Jesus. I think the greatest example that we have of courage in all humanity is Jesus. And in Matthew 26, um, starting with verse 36, we have this episode in Jesus' life. It's, it's very familiar. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So we get to this point, and uh, Jesus has done three years of ministry. People have seen him do miracles and, all, and hear his wonderful teaching. And now uh, he's about at the brink of accomplishing um, the most crucial aspect of his mission, uh, to die on the cross. But before he gets to the cross, he goes to the garden to pray. And here we have a moment where Jesus needs to gather his courage and choose courage. And in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, we will see how Jesus chooses courage in this moment, and we will consider whether we can practice courage in the same way. And Jesus chooses courage in three steps. Listen as I read it to you. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this text. I just want to look, though, at Jesus' decisions that he makes here. And, and the, first, the first way that he chooses courage in this m- moment is that he acknowledges his anxiety. It says in verse 38, I mean, Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is describing his feelings, his, his anguish in this moment. He says that he's so, he feels so sorrowful that it, it feels like he's dying. He acknowledges his intense anxiety. Now, why is he anxious? Well, he knows his mission. A few times already in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks to his disciples about his mission. And in one case, uh, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, if you want to flip back there real quick, you can see it. Jesus is talking about this moment, and he says to his friends, "Uh, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, And we'll turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Now, his friends had no idea what he was talking about at the moment. But Jesus knew. And now he is at the very critical moment right before all that is to to take place. He knows what's going to happen. And it fills him with this anxiety. I mean, he is stressed over this. We can imagine the man Jesus how afraid he must have been. He knows that he will experience great emotional pain. One of his best friends is going to betray him. The rest of his friends are going to hide and scatter. His heavenly father is going to abandon him. And he anticipates the physical pain of being flogged and whipped and beaten and nailed to a a cross. And so he admits this to God and to his fellow uh, friends there, Peter, James, and John. He acknowledges his, his anxiety. Now, I think unlike Jesus, most of us are not aware of the fear that lurks inside of our hearts. And if we want to be courageous, then we need to know what we are afraid of. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What am I afraid of? Are you afraid of feeling helpless, rejected, or abandoned? Are you afraid of feeling lonely, unloved, or inadequate? Are you afraid of failure, disapproval, or being ridiculed? I mean, these are common things to be afraid of. I'm afraid of them too. And like Jesus, I think it's good for us to acknowledge our fears, to be aware of them, because when we know what we're afraid of, we can choose to respond in courage. And this is what Jesus does. This is the first step that he takes. But the second step he takes is that he reinforces his love. He goes, it says in verse 39, going a little further, he fell to his face to the ground and he prayed. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet 
not as I will, but as you will. How does he address God in prayer? He, he so famously does this, and we have done it as Christians since then. He says, my father, my father. There's a tenderness. It describes this close relationship between Jesus and God in heaven. Jesus loves his father. And then he says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, the word cup in the Bible, oftentimes in the Old Testament, it's used as a symbol um, to represent suffering or pain or God's wrath. And so Jesus is talking about the cross here, and he says, God, isn't there another way? Can't this, do I have to go through this ordeal? But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus loves the Father so much that he's willing to do whatever God says. Even if it means dying on the cross. So Jesus' love for the Father is greater than his anxiety for the cross. Do you see that? And then Jesus goes and he wakes up the other disciples and then he comes back and he prays again. And in verse 42, it says the same prayer, but it's just a little bit different. And I think that's significant. In 39, he says, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Look what it says in verse 42. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The first time he prays, he says it in the positive. The second time in the, in the negative, he says, if it is not possible. I mean, I think this time Jesus is resigned to the fact that it is not possible to save humankind any other way but to die on the cross. He knows it has to be him, the perfect incarnate son of God, to die on the cross, even though he didn't deserve it, in order to bear the guilt that we have because of our sins. Only he can do that. Jesus knows there is no other way and so in this moment, he expresses his love for people. He reinforces his love. Jesus loves people so much he's willing to die in their place. Jesus' love for people is greater than his anxiety for the cross. Jesus reinforces his love. And this is the second step he takes in his act of courage and I think the same is true for us. Once we evaluate our fears, it makes it easier for us to evaluate our relationships. And we can ask ourselves this question, is my love for this person greater than my fear? And the answer to that can be legitimately yes or no in any situation. So let me give you one. So uh, yesterday in uh, Langhorn, where I live, there was a, uh, a fall festival, and it's a big deal. And there's like uh, exhibits and lots of people walking around. It's really a lot of fun. So imagine yourself at a festival like that, and there's a clown performing in the middle of it as you're walking by, and the clown singles you out and wants you to volunteer. And you're there with your friends. And you know what this is all about. The clown wants to perform a gag or a joke on you, and everyone's going to laugh. And, of course, your friends are saying, go ahead, volunteer, volunteer. Now you might be thinking, my love for my friends is not greater than my fear of humiliation. <laughs> there is no way this is going to happen. Okay, but let's consider that you're not there with your friends. Instead, you're there with your six-year-old daughter. 
Does the situation change? Now she's saying to you, Daddy, Mommy, go volunteer. And you think, my love for my six-year-old daughter is greater than my fear of humiliation. And so you do volunteer. And it is a terrible gag. And everyone on the street laughs. But your little girl laughs. And you've just created a memory that will last a lifetime. You see, that's a simple act of courage. It's not running into a burning building. It's not dying on the cross. But your love for your daughter was greater than your fear, and you take this simple little action, and it builds and strengthens and enhances your relationship. And we have the opportunity to do little things like that every single day. Jesus does it in a big, big way. He reinforces his love. And he's ready to take action. And that's the very end of this episode here in Matthew chapter 26. First, Jesus acknowledges his anxiety. He is honest about what he's facing. He reinforces his love for God and for people. And then the third thing, he responds to his love rather than to his fear. It says in verse 45, Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Courage demands that we take action. And this group of people probably didn't come quietly. A mob of people with Judas. Jesus probably heard them all the way down the road. And he has this moment to gather his courage. And so when they're there, he says, rise, let's go. And it's interesting. He doesn't walk away from Judas, does he? He walks towards him. Jesus' love for God and people is greater than his anxiety. He walks towards his betrayer. And I think in this moment, we get a definition of courage from Jesus. Courage happens when you show that your love is greater than your fear. So what will you do to demonstrate that your love for a person is greater than your fear? Earlier in the sermon, we considered six scenarios. And I think the, in these relationships, they, they were suffering because of fear. And in each of these scenarios, there is a courageous choice that will change it. Remember Scott and his wife who are, who are in a fight? The courageous decision for Scott is to go to the marriage counselor with his wife, even if he feels uncomfortable talking about his feelings. The result might be that they save their marriage. Joan should talk to her friend Sarah. Even if she's afraid that they might get into another fight, the result might be that they heal their friendship. Bill should confront his boss about his business practices, even if he's afraid he'll sound like a whiner. The result might be a stronger work relationship. Charlotte should ask her friend Joe to come to church, even if he might say no. The result might be that Joe hears the gospel and becomes a believer in Jesus. David should confront his son about his poor choices, even if his son might throw a tantrum. The result might be a stronger relationship for both of them 
in the long run. How about you? What relationship in your life is struggling? What will be the courageous thing to do in that relationship? How can you show that your love for that person is greater than your fear? Courage demands action. And when we choose courage, and we have opportunities to do this all the time, we can build our relationships with people. We can demonstrate to others what Jesus showed for us. I'm going to invite the the band to come up to sing a few songs with us to close and encourage you this way. Choose courage because Jesus chose courage. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane in this moment. He acknowledges that he's fearful, but he acknowledges his love for God and people and he chooses to act according to his love. And I think that Jesus intends for us to follow this example. Why? Because the Gospel of John has this statement from Jesus, which he says just a few hours before he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says to his friends, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus chose courage. And the result was a healed relationship between God and humankind. And when we, chose, when we choose courage, the result will be healed relationships for us as well. The choice is really yours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your wonderful example. Thank you for the way that um, you demonstrated your deep love for us by dying on the cross for us. Uh, We owe you everything. But also, Lord, we want to learn from your example. And in, in the course of our daily life, every time we run into a situation where we have a choice to make, whether for self-preservation <laughs> or to show love towards others, I pray we'll, we will take, take that courageous step and show love so that you might receive the glory and we might um, uh, bring each other together. Lord, we want to develop and grow closer to you in relationship. We want to grow closer to others in relationship because that's the kind of love that you showed for us. Help us to love others the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.